across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pots, pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Flavour. I'm Matt Bentman and here are Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with details of some of today's features. We'll be celebrating the fact that this weekend is British Cheese Weekend. The plough in Coton got a good mention in the Sunday Times recently. We find out how it came about. Our story of how food is bringing communities together continues with a visit to Trumpington Meadows. And also, a little update to our feature from two Christmases ago of the Pay It Forward voucher scheme. We've also got lots of food and drink news. And at the end of the programme, our job section includes a record 19 vacancies. Tequila! But first, on our last programme, we visited Clay Farm, the new development in Trumpington, to find out how food is helping to bring the community together. On the other side of Hoxton Road, the main road running from the M11 into Cambridge, is another development, Trumpington Meadows. There too, there was a need to develop a sense of community. In lockdown, not an easy thing to do. And as in Clay Farm, food was one of the solutions, and it's led to daily street food vans and the launch of a monthly market. I spoke with Gillian Ritzvi and Karen Lamb about their roles as volunteers getting it all going, and about the tangible effects it's already having. Can you tell me what's on offer here in Trumpeton Meadows from the food perspective? We've, we've got a lot of food vans which come here pretty much one every day of the week, and some days, you know, maybe in the day and at night. And this all started during the second lockdown in November, where, you know, we felt it would help to cheer people up in the community to have, you know, you could walk out and you'd have, a, a, you know, good food on offer literally at your doorstep and a wide variety of cuisines from Sri Lankan to South African to Greek to um, you know Mediterranean, you name it. How do people feel about that? Well, I, I think uh, this is a very multicultural uh, you know, community we live in with, uh, I think, a lot of people working at the biomedical campus and Addenbrooke, so it, it's got, you know, so, so it's great. And we've, we've just kind of done a little bit of research and our homework to try and provide a varied, a varied kind of cuisine to kind of keep everybody happy. And, you know, we kept getting requests from residents. Can we have this? And, you know, various recommendations. And that's how it all started. And, you know, we thought it would just be weekend food vans. But then the way it grew, it went to pretty much, you know, two vans a day. Really? So yes. the, the residents have taken to it then? Very much so, very much so. And then we had vans contacting us that can we come to your location? And, you know, because they realized it was lucrative because, you know, you had pretty much like a captive uh, clientele over here because we've got about thousand homes. So, I mean, they were doing pretty well. Yeah. So, well, I was thinking that if you are, if you are an established food van business, how much do you want to take on a new place? Because there's a risk attached, isn't it? You bring all your stuff, 
you don't know how many customers you're going to get, but it's been successful. Yes, I guess. And I mean, you know, and we, we were very easy going when we started off. So we offered them, I mean, you know, you come and have a look and, you know, we were very flexible around their schedules and stuff. And well, they all realized it was lucrative. So they were all happy to kind of come back and actually have fixed days on a rota. And uh, so it worked pretty well for them. We were, we were quite open to help promote local businesses. And, you know, I mean, I think it worked for the food vans and it worked for the residents too so it was you know mutually i think beneficial absolutely and you're thinking well you have expanded into a market as well and you're wanting to develop that further it was more actually um, you know a response that we got from residents when they saw the food vans were doing well you know they requested for they would like to see a, a farmer's market or a craft market so we had actually it was um you know it was the residents who kind of you know i mean we kind of put out a poll about what else they would like to see here and a farmer's market and a craft market was top of the list where people were, you know, wanted to have something like that in Trumpington Meadows. So that's where we kind of, you know, got an idea and we tried our luck and 18th of April was our first market with, with, with just five vendors and that, you know, was very well received. And uh, within three days, I've had requests from 15 other vendors who want to come by and join our next market on the 16th of May. Right, okay. What sort of vendors did you, did you have? Uh, we were very fortunate. We had quite a, a variety we had cake stalls and pasta and china china ceramics. yeah ceramics <laughs> mud ceramics so yes yeah, so we, we've been very lucky we, we've already so got it really is a, a, an art stroke food uh, market yeah we might, might even get to the point we have two markets one for food and one and for one crafts for yeah but I mean, I wonder about how easy it is to get to get vendors. I can see sort of small vendors, but what about say farmers with fruit and veg? Is that we do have uh, one fruit and veg vendor who's joining us on the 16th. So I think there are vendors, and a lot of them haven't really been able to get into the big markets, like I believe the one, the Cambridge Market, or at Ely. So they're always looking for spaces. So uh-huh. we are fortunate that we've managed to get one f- fresh produce vendor who's joining us on the 16th. And um, we will probably hope to expand to get a fishmonger, a butcher, and you know we see how that goes. But but for now, yes. And I think it's also more the idea for people who haven't been able to get their foot into the door, maybe at other the other big markets, and a place for them to showcase their talent and their craft. Yeah. So I think that's what we want to do: give them that uh, that space. Right. And and it's great for us residents to have that right at our doorsteps. Yeah. Okay. Karen, what? Why? Why did you start it up though? I think it was just a, a good thing to do for the community. People needed something to entertain them and also to feed them. We have some retail units here in Trumpeton Meadows, which sadly haven't been taken up, so they're just empty shells. So we're very keen to get somebody to come and, and start the community rolling, but it just wasn't happening for us, so we decided to do it ourselves. How easy is it to get set up? Do you not have to get lots of permissions? Well, yes, it is very important to get the right certificates and licences. It's not something you can just do without checking with uh, people in charge, the authorities. We're working very closely with Barrett's, the builders here in uh, Trumpeton Meadows, and uh, Trinity Estates, who look after the development here. Um, it's important to, uh, <laughs> to make sure you're not breaking any laws. Um, but, of course, during COVID, it was very difficult for us. Um, to get anybody's permission because there was just nobody around so we sort of went ahead on our own and just did it Um, (laughs) we did make sure we got insurance um, and their insurances but yeah we just went ahead and uh, and did it and it we didn't expect it to be as successful as it was and it has grown like topsy but for us as a community it's really important I think we have a couple of retail units here in Trumpeton Meadows that are just empty and nobody wants to take them up 
and uh, <clears throat> that doesn't help our community at all. Mm. So something like the food vans and the Sunday markets is going to bring the community together and make a difference and that's why we're doing it really. What about the conflict that there might be between having a Sunday market or whatever day it will be, selling things like fresh fruits fruit and vegetables outside a big supermarket. Does the supermarket not get a bit fidgety about that? Actually, we've got a very good relationship with our local Sainsbury's. Um, they've supported us very well during COVID and lockdown. And, and I think they want to encourage a good vibe in Trumpeton Meadows in the local centre. We have had problems with antisocial behaviour and we've basically, basically we've reclaimed our space. You know, it belongs to the community now. The lights are working and, and people feel safe and they can come out and do some shopping and maybe at the same time get a cup of coffee. They couldn't do that before. It, it, they didn't feel safe. Oh, and really? it's important, I think, as a community to build that feeling of security. You can't just move people in and then just leave them to it with no support. And, and that's what Gillian and I do, is with our community group, Trumpeton Meadows Delivery and Action Group, we support our neighbours and we give them what they need. So it's early days, but it seems like it's a success. Yes, it is early days. And, and we're not just doing the food vans and the, the farmer's market. We're hoping to get people together maybe have an event in summer um, for the Nature Reserve because it's their fifth birthday party. So we'll have a small community event where we can actually you know, give back and get people together if they're allowed to. I mean, this, this sort of thing is, is very impressive. Is it getting much uh, attention sort of outside the local community? Well, I think so, because the online uh, property uh, marketing seems to be uh, using some of the images of the food vans in our development to promote sales of houses in Trumpington Meadows or promote the development. So I think it is, uh, you know, obviously making it look more lucrative for people to move into the development. So it's being seen by estate agents as a, as a real positive for yes. the area then? Yes, definitely. Oh, that's good. Thank you. What a positive story. It can so easily be that new developments lack a community feel. So thank goodness for unpaid volunteers like Karen and Gillian, who spend a huge amount of time pulling things together. And for the food vans, who make a small contribution to community funds. The next Sunday market is the 16th of May, and you can get details of what food vans are there each day by following them on Instagram, tm underscore food underscore vans underscore. OK, on to our first news break now, starting with the return of events. Parker's Tavern in Regent Street is doing its afternoon teas, and that's for a few days only on the balconies of the top floor suites of the University Arms Hotel. Sounds rather exciting, doesn't it? The dates are the 30th of April to the 3rd of May, and the 7th of May to the 12th of May. You can book at inquiries at parkerstavern.com. Levant Kitchen, specialists in Italian cuisine, has two events on the terrace at Cambridge Cookery in Purbeck Street off Hills Road. The first, on the 25th of June, has sold out, and the second is booking up quickly. It's on the 9th of July, and it runs from 6.30 till 9.30pm. It's an aperitivo tasting menu of dishes inspired by the Ligurian kitchen. Book at levant.shop forward slash summer hyphen pop hyphen ups. Uh, there's a link on their Instagram bio, which is rather easier. Wines and beers chosen by Meadows will be available for purchase on the night. Calverley's Brewery's Taproot reopens on the 15th of May and bookings are now open on their website. This weekend is British Cheese Weekend 
and the Cambridge Cheese Company in All Saints Passage has over 50 British cheeses in stock. There is also a free live virtual event on BritishCheeseWeekender.com with all sorts of interesting talks and demonstrations. There's plenty of classes on offer at Cambridge Cookery in Purbeck Road, which is just off Hills Road. They've resumed, and many have already sold out. However, looking ahead just a little, there is an intensive two-day class on the 31st of May to the 1st of June. That's for teenagers. It's called Cook for Life, and it runs from 10am to 4pm. And on the 2nd of June, there's one for children of around 7 to 11 years. There's Tray Bakes for Kids, and that runs from 10 till 12.30. Also in June, on the 12th, there's plant-based and dairy-free recipes for gourmets. On the 13th of June, there's a baking masterclass on beginner's bread. And on the 17th, it's curries of the world. And on the 20th of June, cooking classic fish and seafood. And on the 27th of June, sourdough. Plenty more details and booking. They're all available if you just check out the Cambridge Cookery website. Cambridge Cheese Company in All Saints Passage has greatly expanded its range of products and is now open 11 till 5pm Monday to Friday and 10 until 5pm Saturday. It's closed on Sunday and more about the Cambridge Cheese Company shortly. Meanwhile, the Cambridge Wine School has an eight-week World of Wine course starting at 7pm on the 1st of June. Uh, That's at the Clayton Hotel near the station. And there's a grand tour of French wines on the 8th of June, cheese and wine pairing on the 10th, and on the 22nd of June, explore Spain and Portugal. Well, bees are swarming at the moment. It kind of reminds me of my time rather too close to a hive full of them when I went to check out Hawthorne Farm in Hazlingfield. Bees have been getting increased exposure in the media recently. Lots of sudden realisation stories about our food chain being dependent upon them for pollinating millions of acres of agricultural crops. And then there's global warming, the impact of predatory species and diseases, European hornet invasions swiftly wiping out our polite, reserved, suit-and-tie-wearing British bumblebee. There's interesting news too. More and more people taking up beekeeping in urban areas, producing unusual honeys, as the bees source their pollen from people's garden plants and windowsill plant pots. And I'm here today on the outskirts of Cambridge, and I'm with Sarah Chandler and her partner Ian. So, so these beehives are called apiaries, is that right? It's the correct term? Apiaries. Hmm. Like That's an aviary. It. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the whole place, if yeah. you know what I mean, the apiary. Ah, uh, so you're... It's a place to keep bees. Yes, yeah. Right, next, A. A, B. Um, um, well, it's a buzzing thing, isn't it? <laughs> How long have you been doing this now? We've been doing it about eight years. Found a swarm of bees on a walk once and kind of thought, hang on a minute, <laughs> we should be doing this, you yes, know. Yes, yeah. Here we did a course at um, the Cambridge Beekeepers. They run every year. All right, yes. Plus, if you become a member, you can borrow equipment. So if you don't have to buy an expensive extractor, you can just go and borrow them, oh, which right is on. nice. I've got 32 hives here in total, 10 big colonies, working hives, and the rest are all nukes, which are swarms I've collected. Mm. And when they fill out the frames, I'll transport them into a proper hive. So they don't like too much space, so you have to keep them small at first, you know, yes, so they can yeah. build out. Swarms that you've collected sounds very interesting. It makes you sound like you're a hunter going off into the fields and you can identify where these places are. Is that roughly it? What happens is I get a phone call because I'm on on the website, the Beast Association, so people will have them in their garden, Mm. phone me up and I'll go and bring them back here. 
but I have seen her follow them down the road in my car. I have followed her, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gone over the top. Sometimes they don't stop. They don't stop and, and they take she, off. Can I yeah. have your keys? And off she went. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. I followed them. It, I did, well. yeah. No, I followed them down and they landed in a tree and I, like, yeah, I caught them and brought them back. <laughs> Not escaping. <laughs> So you said these were some of these smaller hives? Yeah, swarms that I've collected out of the tree. Got about 20,000 bees in. So what I've done is I've smoked them mm-hmm. and I've taken the roof off and then we'll come down to a crown board and then under the crown board is... The honeycombs. Yeah, this is where the bees make their honey. Now as you explained to me earlier, smoking prompts them to... Prompts them to go and feed from the honey so it fills their abdomen up to stop them stinging you. Mm. It doesn't actually make them sleepy. <laughs> and as you can see, the hive, they like to stick everything up, so you need to get your hive tool under and then oh, just yes. unstick it. You take the super off, which is where the honey's stored. Then we come to a queen guard to stop the queen coming up into your honey. You don't want her laying eggs in your honey. Queen guard. Yeah. Blimey, look at this. So you can identify just by looking externally here where the queen roughly is. Yeah, she generally is where the eggs are laying. And you can see them all feeding on the honey now, now I'm smoking them. Yes, yes. They think there's a forest fire or something. They're all getting ready to leave, so they're gorging on the honey. I noticed there that one of the combs you pulled out looked very fresh. So this is a a fresh set of combs? This is a fresh hive, yeah. This is all the wax sheets here, and then they draw the wax out. How long has it taken them to produce this? Um, These have been in here a week, so they're on five frames now. See, there's some little larvae in there. Oh, yes, yes. They're the babies. Oh, and I can see some dark, dark coloured pollen. That's pollen, yeah, yeah. The sort of green stuff's the hawthorn. Yes. And it just varies on what they're feeding. Ah, now, look at this. This is. No, she's not. Oh, no, she's there. She's bigger, but she's she's not as big as I thought she would be. But you you homed in on her straight away. She's got a a longer body. That was probably luck more than anything. She's just got a longer abdomen so she can reach down into the cells and lay her egg. That's why the workers can't do it. Ah, right. So it's only her. Um, oh, you bugger. It's got you. Should we move? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I've set them off now. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're checking them, what is it that you're checking for? I'm checking to make sure the queen's still in there. Yeah. Because so, we don't want to lose the queen and have no eggs, otherwise that's your hive gone. And I'm checking for diseases and pests. So, okay. like... Varroa mites. mites. Varroa mites, yeah. Yeah. Wax moths. And wax moths. Uh, things like varroa mites easy to spot as well? Varroa mites are very tiny. They're almost like fleas. Mm. They're really small. But you can tell because some of the bees will have like chewed off wings. I think I saw some photos where it looks like they almost piggyback off yeah. the back of the bumblebee. But they look yes. like a backpack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we use varroa mite treatment over winter being infested sulfur dioxide is it now yes which we don't use that they really don't like that Mm. but people are using it now so that's a stronger harsher chemical is it i think so more like acid i think (laughs) it's quite it's quite yes not very nice we use icing sugar to control the varroa mite which is a more natural way of doing it Mm. so you sprinkle the icing sugar on the top of the hive when you've finished and yeah that will sort the varroa mite out is there a reason why more beekeepers don't do that? Is it just because you need more of that to produce the same effect as the chemical? Um, I think it's people don't know, really. I think it is just something that you know people pick up and it is becoming more popular to use ice and sugar rather than chemicals. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so here's the next one. 
Because every one of your yeah. beehives here are raised off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's for ease of work, I think. Yeah. More than... My back. Okay. <laughs> ah, now look at this. Yeah, I haven't. I've been taking honey of these, so there's not as much there as there should be. Wow. These guys are. These guys are automatically much more aggressive, I think. Yeah. There's just more. Uh, there's more in here, so yeah, and I've been taking the honey, so they're not that happy at the moment. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps, uh, again, a very um, neophyte question, but how do you take their honey from them? I lift the uh, supers off and scrape all the bees off. Well, not scrape them off, but you brush them off. Yeah. Uh, gently. And then I take it to a uh, centrifuge and spin it. In Just lifting off the... Standing in their flight path. Oh, am I? Yeah. Ah, that's why. Should I stand to the side? Um, yeah. See how they've stuck it all together they with the propolis? stuck it down. What, what was that word you used just then? Propolis. Propolis. Yeah, which is their glue. Ah. Which is all this dark orange. Yes, yes. And that's sticky. <laughs> that is very sticky. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very stuck. Very stuck. Oh, wow. Sorry, I'm going to roll the bees. I don't particularly Lime. like that. <laughs> Whoa, I'm being attacked everywhere. <laughs> okay, this is a test of your metal. Blimey. It's scary, isn't it? it is scary, yeah. Whew. Now, this, this honeycomb is so much darker. It's more like a, a coffee colour. Yeah, this is an older one, so it's been in there a year or two. So the longer it's in there, the darker it gets because they start building it up with proper list. Yes. Um, you know, it makes it harder to work with as well when they start getting a bit you know, darker because you can't see the eggs. Yeah, normally on a hot day, when you, that's when you choose to come in. Yeah, yes, yeah. Be out. So half of out. these will be out, that's why you don't want to come oh, in. Oh, I see. Yeah. So actually coming here on a cooler day, just after it's been raining, is, is, is worse for recording. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite intense. Yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> they hate this microphone. They hate my hand. Right, it's only a sting. But myself and Ian are all tightly suited up here. I feel like there's no way that the bees could get through. But you know from experience that the bees will find there's a space. Yeah, yeah. no, we've, I had we've one had in the veil. In the veil. In that suit. Yeah. I didn't tell you before you went in. <laughs> <laughs> but last time I wore that suit, one got in. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll walk up, find the little nook and cranny. Yeah. And it was just there at the front, and I managed to <laughs> before it got me. But <laughs> I mean, something that starts with A B. Honey. Honey starts with A B. <laughs> He's right, you know, Blackout, honey does start with a bee, and a flower too. Now, honey is sometimes referred to as nature's benign golden sweetener. It never goes bad, it's baked into everything from cereals to biscuits, sauces and medicines, and it will crystallise over time. The more pollen in your honey, the quicker it crystallises. Oh wow, yeah, he went for it. I got stung on the eye once, that was... Yeah. You got stung on the eye? Right on the corner of the eye. Oh. Sarah had been in the uh, a hive round, and I was nowhere near, and it just went bash. Yeah. Oh. And it got me, and it made me swell up. <laughs> I looked pretty good for, for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> were you just risking it? As in, were no, you going no, no, he wasn't even in the bees. It. We, she'd finished. I'd, I was oh. in the bees, and I'd come around a corner, yeah. and he was miles away. And, and I didn't even see it coming, just and it just. But it's just the way it swelled up. It went down my face and I looked good. I looked like I'd been in a fight. I did. You had been in a fight. Well, yeah, I lost as well. <laughs> the ivy extraction, that's the stuff that you leave for the bees we in order to survive the winter. Yeah. We like to give them a bit of honey yeah. back, yeah. not yeah. just give them loads of sugar. So You can buy feed from other places, but we kind of want to keep it as pure and natural to them. Mm. We tend to just let them have their own feed, which is easier for us and nicer for them. So with these 30 hives that you have here, Sarah, you produce the honey 
Yes, so. we produce the honey and we, we jar it up and we sell it out the front of our holding. We're in Hazingfield, up Cantalote Road, and yeah, we have two different types of honey at the moment. We have the creamed honey and we have the runny honey. Creamed honey is, it creams because of the uh, rape seed that we have around here. So it goes hard and then we basically heat it up to 40 degrees and then we uh, get like a potato masher and you mash it. And once it's creamed, it's not hard, it's spreadable honey rather than being granulated. And how long does it take for you to produce it? There must be a lot of work involved. You have to extract it, so you put the frames into an extractor and then, I mean, that take a, a good hour mm. to just extract. You mentioned in. a centrifuge earlier. Yeah, that's the honey extractor. Yeah. So, yeah, you put the frames in and you just spin a handle and it spins off into a jug and then you have to put it into a settling um, container after that to get all the bubbles out and before you put it in there you have to um, <laughs> send it through some sieves mm. to, you know, to get out the, you know, bits of wax and propolis and... Oh, or the odd bee that ends up in it. <laughs> so you leave it in the uh, storage containers and then after about a week you can then jar it up and then label it up and sell it. So Sarah Chandler and Ian, very nice to meet you. It's nice to meet your bees as well. <laughs> yes. They were very happy to chat. <laughs> Sorry. And we're here at Hazlingfield in the farm in Hazlingfield. Yes. Just up Cantaloupe Road. Hawthorne Farm, yeah. for all those people who want to come and uh, purchase your honey. Yeah. Yep. Runny and creamy. Yep. <laughs> well, Sarah and Ian, thank you very much. And you're listening to Flavour. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. More news now at Trumpington Meadows tomorrow, Sunday, for the last time is VG Coffee. And that's from 10 till 12 noon. VG Coffee next week will be outside the University Library with their coffees and cakes from Tuesday to Friday from 10 o'clock till 4. And starting next month... They'll be there from Monday to Friday. Also, tomorrow, Sunday, at the Queen's Head in Newton, it's Pizza Mondo from 12 until about 3pm. On Wednesday at the Queen's Head, you can get South African and Jamaican food from Kerif Catering, and that will be there from 5 until about 8pm. At the University Library, every Wednesday until Friday will be Food Park from 12 till 2pm. You can place orders at foodpark.com. A new venture is Jamra Charcoal Grill, serving street food inspired by the Middle East and served from a converted horse box. Its first outing is going to be on May the 5th at the Fox and Duck in Buntingford. Vanderlyle is stopping its takeaway service from the 1st of May in preparation for a reopening at the end of June. When we checked on Thursday night, there's still some availability though for takeaways on the 28th and 29th of April. And the Wandering Yak is taking a month off uh, due to unforeseen circumstances. We'll have more news later in the programme. The Plough at Coton is a popular spot and it was recommended in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago. I spoke with owner Paschi Bernadetto, ex-Pasquales in Cambridge Market Square, about how it came about. And he asked his friends or colleagues for recommendations and we were put forward by a local restaurateur, Mr Mark Poynton at MJP at Fenditon. So he put us forward, which was very kind, and Andy contacted me end of March. Because you were one of the 40 listed throughout the UK, which is quite a distinction, isn't it? We're very proud. It's a great list. 
we put a lot of work and effort and we're very fortunate to have such a lovely area, lovely garden space and lovely terrace and it was, it's a great accolade, it's a great achievement and very proud of, of our work, our family's work, I've myself and my cousin, I've been there five years but it's a great achievement and it, and it just comes to show a lot of people have been talking about it over the last fortnight and we're very pleased. Because you and your cousin are very much sort of a local family, aren't you? Yes, our family's been trading as restaurateurs, my father and my uncle started in the early 70s and we've been the family we've been in Cambridge uh, yeah for a long time and it's lovely to be recognised in the way things have changed over the years we're very pleased it's always nice to be acknowledged for what we do because the plough is a lovely pub which focuses both on being able to obviously eat inside and drink inside when we can but it's got a lovely outside terrace and a very large outside garden area as well hasn't it yeah I think it's one of the top spaces in Cambridge unfortunately have a terrace that's about 80 and a lovely garden we have a number of benches and because we have such space we can space them out in the world that we're in at the moment and on top of that being able to accommodate people with park it's 70 cars that's a great asset to have last monday when places were allowed to open and serve outside again you've done quite well Yes, we've decided to stay closed on Mondays except for bank holidays, so our first day was on the Tuesday, but last week from Tuesday to Sunday we've we've had a very good week, it's been a great start, the weather's been on our side to a certain extent, which is very important and everyone's praying for good weather, but we have done, yeah, we've done about 3,000 people on food, plus we're very fortunate that the garden area allows people to drink as well, but yes, we've had a very good start. I should think all your staff were very pleased to get back and be doing what people like to do. We've brought as many back as we can. We've got a couple still on furlough because we didn't know how it was all going to start off at the beginning, to be honest. But uh, yes, it's nice to be back into the swing of things. And hopefully the dates that have been put in place for May that we can get back to seating people inside and, and have, get back to some sort of normality as quickly as possible. Well done the plough, though I am rather surprised that a list of the best by a national newspaper seems to be based on such a small number of recommendations. We'll take a two-minute break now and we'll be back with a visit to the Cambridge Cheese Company, a coffee roastery in Harston, the Pay It Forward scheme, more news and a lot of job vacancies. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio. Looking to buy a new home this summer but it feels out of reach? Then getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you. Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two and three bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees and three months rent free, book your viewing today to find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership, think complete moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 020-3640-7111 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Missed the bus and must make that urgent appointment. Need picking up after a night out with your mates? 
Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. Welcome back and it's British Cheese Weekend at the moment so a good time to remind ourselves of what an exceptional shop the Cambridge Cheese Company in All Saints Passage is. Uh, here's a recording from our archives uh, which was made by Ruth Reyes, our old colleague, who was talking with the shop's joint owner Jackie Sutton Adam. We're, we're really about sort of good quality say traditional food we're quite selective um, we keep our ears to the ground listening out for interesting new stuff and of course the the thing at the moment is that everybody's quite buzzy about is local local food that has that's been a really interesting development for us because we haven't when we first started 20 odd years ago 1994 the big thing was being a delicatessen with being an independent delicatessen in Cambridge we were um, very much a, a one-off as we've kind of developed and grown and had to react to what, what, what's happening out there in the market, um, as new things have come along and there's been organic food, there's been um, local food, there's been uh, all sorts of things like that, we have to look really closely at what the new stuff is that com is coming in and how well does it fit our brand at the Cambridge Cheese Company and how, demand, how much demand is there from our customer base. So, it, you know, it's a constant juggling act. It's never, it's never the same thing <laughs> two years running, really. Cheese-wise, I have two favourites. One would be a, a good piece of really strong cheddar, and we do one called uh, Cambridgeshire Gum Burner. It's made made for us, and we mature it ourselves for up to two years, um, and it has really big, powerful, punchy flavours. It's like somewhere between a cheddar and a, um, a, a parmesan, if you like, in terms of bite and uh, and power oh wow how do you um do the maturing do you do it here on site or we do yes so we buy um a lot of we bu we buy stuff in from uh, products in from cheesemakers and sometimes they're able to supply us uh with big cheeses that have a bit of age on them already and we buy them in advance and then we have some maturing rooms downstairs which are kept around about eight um between five and eight degrees centigrade uh, a little bit of humidity in there. It's an old building, as you can see. We're in a grade two listed bit of the city, so <laughs> damp is is uh, is ever present, um, and that's perfect for cheeses. So we put things down there, and uh, the cheddars can just be left quietly by themselves. A little bit of turning once in a while, um, and the younger cheeses need a little bit more um, attention uh, to bring them up to good, fluffy, squidgy deliciousness. For the and then when they like that, we take them into the shop. One of our, um, our specialities is a cheese we call Cambridge Blue. It's made for us, closely guarded secret as to where it comes from. Um, but they have been maturing downstairs and they go from being creamy and rich and very tasty to ultra creamy, very rich and almost like sloughed and oozy. Uh, we have a couple of goat's cheeses which are young, beautifully formed. Uh, they come to us uh, ready-made and then we, we mature them for about three three to four weeks generally downstairs and they become sort of soft, bit wrinkly, grey, 
quite sort of sexy looking good things to have on a cheese board um, so those are our, I think those are our main ones and then pretty much everything else that comes in you know it's a, just a question literally on a daily basis we go around and look at what's down there and you know maybe adjust the packaging a little bit or the the amount of air circulation that goes around the cheeses in order to create the right environment for the, that particular cheese and then when they look nice and ripe and ready we bring them up and that's that's why they sell because they're up there because they're ripe and ready to go so yeah. Um, so you started 20 years ago. What made you start the Cambridge Cheese Company? Okay, so uh, Paul, my husband and I, we were um, recently married and living in Norwich and we had both been working for a wine business, um, wine retailers, and it was just at the um, start of the early 90s, there was a recession in the early 90s and a lot of people got laid off and edged out of, of jobs and he and I were two, um, two victims of that uh, so we had been um, sitting around newly married and, you know, just having a, a, a relaxing time out from work, <laughs> uh, but not really confronting the elephant in the room, which was, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And we ended up going to a cheese shop in Norwich, uh, which was called The Mousetrap, in order to buy some cheese to take home for family at Christmas. And they didn't have any Stilton, so we ended up having a conversation and a long tasting session with all the different blue cheeses that we could take in, um, instead of Stilton. And when we were leaving, my husband said to me, so I think, I think we could do a cheese shop. And I said, oh, yeah, why not? And uh, we should we do it in Cambridge? Because I was really very fond of um, the city that I spent my early 20s in. Uh, I love the vibrancy about it. And I, in all honesty, I wasn't too... I, I didn't feel very at home in Norwich, so I was looking for a good reason to leave. <laughs> and that was that. And about less than, less than a year later, we found premises, we uh, bought a cheese deck... We got in touch with a couple of wholesalers. They said, yes, of course, we'll come up and uh, help you set your cheese deck up and show you a bit of, bits and, bits of how, to, you know, how to merchandise things attractively for your customers. And my husband did a, he did a course called a Diploma in Cheese, which allows him to put cheese dip at the end of his name. He doesn't <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, and he, he and I have both always been, before, before we found ourselves unemployed in Norwich, we had both done a bit of travelling around Europe, independently and together. And we were both really taken with the, um, at the time, the food culture over there was what it's now becoming like in, in Cambridge now. So emphasis on local, um, a real relationship that people had with the people that they were buying from through markets and stuff. And we were just really inspired by that. So it was the combination of that experience, unemployment and a, an experience of buying cheese that led us to open a cheese shop in Cambridge, really. I, I work behind the scenes a lot and a, a little bit in the shop to just to really keep a feel for, for what's going on. Yeah, it's a real team effort. It's good. It does seem like but very family when you come into the oh, shop. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, we like to think, we do, you know, yeah, we do think of them as family, actually. I don't know whether they feel the same, but uh, <laughs> yes, it is very, it is a family, it's a small independent, you can't help. If you run your own business and you're passionate about what happens in your business and the things that you're selling, then that passion kind of like rolls out and it becomes, a, you know, a, a kind of family feel. I don't know any business that works on that basis that isn't, family doesn't have a family feel about it so brilliant well thank you so much for You're chatting welcome. with me thank you it's nice to meet you properly you too thanks ruth and since ruth made that recording the shop has expanded its range of foods even more it's a real treasure trove i'm free i'm free here's where we bring you details of free food 
available now in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which is free to download. And some examples of what's been available in Cambridge on the Olio app includes Greek-style yoghurt from Ali, Carol was giving away stacks of bread rolls, wholemeal rolls, muffins, finger rolls, finest white rolls and loaves, Loretta had plenty of sealed Costa sandwiches, cheddar and roasted tomato toasties, bacon baps and sausage baps too. Lou had some Frylight one-calorie cooking spray. She said she bought it out of curiosity, but then realised that she doesn't really cook stir-fries that much, so she's giving it away free to anybody who wants it via Olio. Jian, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Jian, has a jar of cooked and pickled cockles going spare. Alex has boxes of Stockwell and Tetley tea, and as usual, there was plenty of Pret-a-Manger sealed food being given away, including, deep breath, avocado, olive and tomato baguettes, sunshine and spice wraps, Scottish smoked salmon sandwiches, mango and banana sunshine bowls, jam and crystal sugar pastries, almond croissants, stone-baked lasagna soup, macaroni cheese, kale and cauliflower dinners, and plenty more. And again, all of these items are being given away free in Cambridge on the Olio app. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price. Uh, And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. And on now to coffee. If, like me, you felt slightly despairing of the news that Nescafe's sales of coffee have leapt during lockdown, you might be interested to know that if you drive out of Cambridge and down the A10, you'll pass a sign on the pavement outside a house in Harston that advertises a coffee roastery within. Uh, It's called Cocobola. And I, I was rather intrigued by that, so since it's not open to casual callers, I phoned the number and spoke to the roastery's owner, Stephen Franks. Now, he told me he's a carpenter, Coca Bola is actually the name of a hardwood, uh, but he also has a great love of coffee, so much so that he built his own roastery and started roasting coffee beans himself. And you can buy his coffee mail order from his website. He currently has coffees from a wide range of countries, including Colombia, Ethiopia, Brazil, Peru, Cameroon, and Guatemala. Stevens is a small business and he likes to support other small businesses and the coffee from Guatemala for example comes from a farm that is just one hectare in area Uh, and if you know as little as I do about land areas you'll be glad that I looked this up. It's about 100 metres by 100 metres so very small and it produces 35 bags of coffee a year uh, a tiny amount. The coffees that Stephen sells are mid-price and delivery within Harston is free It's £2 for nearby villages, £5 in Trumpington and Cambridge. However, there is a free click and collect service and you can normally collect the day after ordering. 250 grams of most of his coffees costs between £6 and £7 plus VAT. Uh, And you can also have a monthly subscription, which will bring you one kilo of coffee per month, and that's £27. Wholesale inquiries are welcome, and the name again is Coco Bolo, coffee roasters. More news now, beginning with some amended opening times. The Kingston Arms in Kingston Street is now open from noon until 11pm. Reservations can be made via 
reservations at kingstonarms.co.uk or phone Cambridge 351 387. They're doing some very nice looking food, so worth a try. Linton Kitchen celebrated its eighth birthday recently. It's now open again on Sundays with outdoor seating. The opening of the Finboys Fish Butchery in Mill Road has been delayed and we hear that it is now likely to open on the 5th of May. Gourmandise Academy have some masterclasses coming up next week. On Friday the 30th of April, there's a patisserie masterclass. On the Saturday, it's sweet and savoury pastry. And on Sunday, it's macaron masterclass. There's plenty more classes coming on over the coming months too. So do check out her website. That's gourmandiseacademy.co.uk. Plans have been submitted to convert the old Don Pasquale restaurant in the Market Square into a cafe and casual dining area, bar and cookery school. And there's an online networking event coming up very soon in which you can meet national and local organisations working on climate and food issues. Now locally, Sam Dyer of Cambridge Sustainable Food and Duncan Catchpole of Kofco and the Cambridge Food Hub are involved. If you'd like to be involved too, you can register on Eventbrite. It's free, and the title of the event is A Taste of Climate Action in Cambridge. It takes place on Wednesday the 28th of April from 3.30 to 5pm. The Brew Board in Harston is crowdfunding. They want to make improvements to the present taproom and open one up in Cambridge. They need to raise £30,000 by the 18th of May and have currently raised over £10,000 and there are, there are rewards for investing. Check out their website for details. And there's the music signalling time for the Twitter news. We have to pre-record our programmes now because of limited access to the Cambridge 105 radio studios as a result of the virus, so we can't bring you the latest tweets. But we can tell you that you can follow Flavour on Twitter, where we are at Flavour 105. Yep, and a reminder that we are on Instagram as well, also at Flavour 105. A few years ago, a lady in Cambridge had an idea to create a voucher scheme. Each voucher is £5 in value and it can be given to those in need to get food or a drink from local participating shops. Sounds good, right? The only problem was that just around the time it was taking off, Covid hit and all those participating shops had to close. Well now, here we are, over a year later, the shops have finally reopened and perhaps now is the right time to give this initiative another push. It's an initiative it's an initiative which started in the Black Cat Cafe on Mill Road. In the first instance, it was just homeless. Yeah. For them to have a heart snap without having to use money. I didn't want to go into a shop and buy them something because they might have an allergy. And I didn't feel comfortable in myself in going up to them and saying, what do you want me to buy you? Was there a particular reason why the Black Cat Cafe? The manager, he, he wanted to help the community. He said, I found this website that do vouchers and they can exchange it when they're ready and they get what they want. And I thought, you've hit the nail on the head then, I like that idea. Yeah. The rest is history. <laughs> Hi, I'm Teresa and this is Pay It Forward. Pay it forward? Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Oh!
there's a place for this and it's just getting it off the ground. There are four businesses, there's Latina Bustaranto, Mill Road Butchers, Coach Chip Shop and Black Cat Cafe. I know Teresa because I work at the Black Cat Cafe. She came here to introduce her project. Finally, we have someone that want to do something for people that really need help. The Pay It Forward gift voucher scheme launched its website, so now you can buy gift vouchers for those in need from participating local cafes and vendors such as... Alamin, Black Cat Cafe, Beat Up Baron, Cornerstone Cafe, King of the Raps, La Latina Bustarante, Mangie Italiano and Livingstone's Cafe. Some of them already help by giving away excess food. But to me, I'm thinking, that's great. But actually, if you had some of my vouchers, they don't cost you anything because the city council fund them. My name's James McWilliams. I manage the housing advice service at Cambridge City Council. Lots and lots of people in Cambridge are very, very generous. They're very concerned about the people that they see on the streets. They want to do something about it, but they're also sensible enough to realise that maybe not all the money that they might give to somebody who may be in a doorway or on the street is necessarily always going to go to a good purpose. It may sometimes go to a less than good purpose and people like the idea of the certainty that they're not actually making matters worse and, and that's a big concern for a lot of people Matt I think. Yeah. People still don't really know about it so they don't really get the concept of it but for businesses it's a win-win and all I ask is if they say sell a voucher for £5 but the person redeeming it only gets stuff for £3, I ask that they give that £2 difference back to charity. Because at the end of the day, the customer has paid £5 for that voucher. You might know somebody who lives in a house on their own. You can't visit them because of isolation or whatever. You could buy them a voucher, post it to the door, and they can go to that cafe and treat themselves to a coffee and they don't have to worry about having money. It just makes them feel that somebody cares about them. Teresa's currently in talks with the Kareem Foundation. That's spelt K-A-R-I-M. They're a local group working to reduce poverty and support those in need, and it's about whether her pay-it-forward vouchers can be put into ethnic shops around Cambridge, because there's not necessarily enough ethnic food in donations to food banks. How do you feel right now? Because I'm so at the coalface with this, I'm frustrated that some things haven't happened. Like, not many people seem to know about it. People say, you need to have posters up, but I haven't got a poster. At one point, I felt like throwing it all in because I just hit a brick wall. I wasn't getting anywhere with anything. And I thought, what's what's the point of it all? And I was talking to a lady from Street Aid the next day, she went to Winter Comfort and they, they always go to Winter Comfort to talk to the service users there about the grant of street aid offer. She sent me a message which brought me to my knees. She was speaking to a gentleman there and he said, um, I just want to thank you for, for the grant. He said, through that grant I got a driving licence and I'm now having driving lessons. And he said, do you know how I know about that grant? He said, because somebody went into the Black Cat Cafe on Mill Road and brought me a paid for a gift voucher. And he said, on the back of that voucher, 
was the link to the chemistry take grant application and he said if it wasn't for that gift voucher he said I wouldn't be where I am now. I, I, I never hear these stories. I only see the, the negative side of, of what's not happening. And when I heard that, I just sobbed. It had given him back his life. I mean, how much of this actually goes to mm. the intended people? With this, I believe it's 100%. It is. If somebody buys a voucher for somebody of £3, that voucher is redeemable for £3 and nothing goes in administration. It's all entirely sort of based on her finding the relatively small amounts of funding that it takes to promote, pay it forward. The council's putting a little bit into it. And when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit. You know, it's a couple hundred pounds over the course of a year. But it helps keep the whole thing flowing. Nothing is being swallowed up in administration costs. Nothing's leaking away. So it's an excellent thing in that regard. Yeah. Hmm. I want to get businesses in Arbury. I'd like to get businesses in Chesterton because it's not just the city centre. Grocery shops, chip shop, a chemist. It's not just about food and drink. Toiletries, hairdressers. It's so much bigger than what it was when it started. So I'm saying no more than five, six pound maximum for the vouchers, because how much would somebody pay for a voucher? I've got short hair, it cost me 20 pound just to get my hair cut. Mm. I wouldn't pay 20 pound for a gift voucher. It, that's a hell of a lot of money. But five pounds, for me, 20 pound, buy you five lots of vouchers and they could go into that chemist, get themselves some toothbrush, toothpaste. It can make them feel good to get it about themselves. Give a gift voucher today. <laughs> that was the Pay It Forward voucher scheme created by Teresa Featonby. You might see a little decal that she gives to businesses who stock these vouchers. They put them on their door or their window to say that they sell them. One recent supporter is Thrive Cafe and Bistro on Norfolk Street, so they're selling the Pay It Forward gift vouchers over the counter and online. And the website, if you'd like to check this out for yourself, for the vouchers, is pifgiftvouchers.org. There's Green Onions signalling the start of our jobs section. Gorilla Kitchen is looking for a person or a couple to take over the running of Gorilla Kitchen. Experience in a kitchen is preferred, though you don't have to have been a chef. Training will be given. The role is to run all aspects of a street food business and so includes food preparation, cooking, taking orders and so on. And the pay is from 30 to 35,000 pounds a year and there are four weeks holiday a year, including one in August, and one at Christmas. Send your CV to info at gorillakitchen.co.uk. Parker's Tavern has several vacancies. Bar manager, assistant restaurant manager, floor manager and restaurant reception manager. Details of the posts are on Parker's Tavern Instagram postings. Provenance Kitchen in Whittlesford needs a front of house, working from 11 till 4pm, four or five days a week. Now if you're interested, you can send your CV to ask at provenancekitchen.com. Jamie Mountford at the Eltersley needs a sous chef. Send your CV to contact at the 
Café Foy at the Quayside is also looking for front of house staff and for a barista with previous experience. Send your CV to cafefoy at gmail.com. Several positions are available at Dolcedo in Eddington, a full and a part-time baker and a pastry chef. Previous experience is needed, and you can email Dolcedo Patisserie, that's D-U-L-C-E-D-O, patisserie, at iCloud.com. The Rural Coffee Project is looking for two part-time baristas. Hours are flexible and include weekends, and you'll need to be a fan of the great outdoors. To apply, email ruralcoffeeproject at gmail.com. A commis chef is required at the Cambridge Chop House. £8, £10 per hour. Apply on the Cam's Cuisine website. A commis chef and a chef de partie are needed at Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road. The Cambridge Blue in Gwider Street has kitchen and bar staff vacancies. To apply, send them a message via Instagram. And finally, in our job section, Mercado Central in Green Street wants a front of house and kitchen staff. You can message them on social media if you're interested. And that about wraps up our show for today. Don't forget we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12pm, repeated on Mondays at 6pm, and of course we will also be available as a podcast early the next week. And coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio Today is Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 8th of May with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.